You don't, especially when those people see that stuff and decide they don't want to know the ins and the outs of that. And that goes to some of the stuff that I wrote about, which is just, that's the people that we're never going to get through to because of stuff like this, that just keeps happening with no damage control attempt by the industry other than move forward and hope people forget. Welcome into another edition of the Goat Zoom Room. I wish this was one of our usual podcasts, one of our cheery, exciting podcasts. We're really, you know, breaking down the industry for the right reasons, for reasons we enjoy. But if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to assume that within the, you know, past month, month and a half, you've seen a darker side of the industry. And it's not that I hope that you've seen that. It's that I know that you've seen that. And I feel as members of the industry, specifically the media, no matter how small or large our platforms are, we all have a responsibility to have a discussion and to talk about the things that are going on. So I'm Caitlin. I'm, of course, joined by my co-host, Andy. We are joined by two special guests today. We're joined by Dr. Catherine Papp as well as a regular guest of ours, Andrew Champagne from the Champagne and JD show. Um, Guys, super excited to have you on today. I wish we were talking about a lot of things that were better in the industry, but, you know, coming off the heels of everything that happened with the Derby this year, um, the modern games sabbatical at the Breeders' Cup, um, IRAD RTs being suspended for 30 days for things that are going on in New York. And then of course the untimely passing now of Medina spirit. So I'm not going to mince words here. I'm pissed. Like I'm pissed for a lot of reasons. I'm mad that I have dedicated my schooling, my entire adult life and so much time to this industry for it to be reactive instead of proactive. So I guess I just wanted to open up with that. But um, Andy, I'll kind of let you share your thoughts very quickly before we kind of break it down further. So I guess I'm, I'm kind of in the, in the whole camp of, because I've been in, in this for so long, things like this happen it's not expected, but it's expected at the same time. The problem is, is that when one person thinks they're bigger than the whole stage and they decide they don't want to put any form of accountability toward them, like Charles Simon said in going in circles, you know, every time there's a, every time he's had a problem, it's somebody else's fault. It's never his fault. And he's got enablers. So that doesn't help, but I, I, I was pissed. I was livid because this was all avoidable. It's totally avoidable. And the industry doesn't see it. The industry doesn't want to see it because supposedly he's good for the sport, but he's not. And that's problematic. But again, we've kind of made our bed with it too. So you know, it's one of those things to where now we have to react to it and we shouldn't have had to react to it at all. Um, 
Andrew, what do you what do you think or what are your thoughts? Well, it's it's tough, but both of you have hit on the right word with react and reactive. For a very, very long time, years in fact, long before the events of Monday morning at Santa Anita, horse racing has been reactive rather than proactive. And over the past couple of months, we have seen the effects of that in a variety of different ways. The modern games fiasco was just that. It was a fiasco where betters got royally hosed. I have never before heard tens of thousands of people at a racetrack in unison boo the outcome of a race. I do not anticipate that happening again. But at the same time, what is horse racing doing to ensure that something like that won't happen again? I don't know about you. I haven't heard anything. Uh, you look at Irad Ortiz Jr. in New York riding beyond recklessly. Now, he did get a 30-day suspension. That's 30 calendar days, not 30 racing days. And a lot of people have pointed that out. My big problem with that is after those 30 days, He's going to come back and he's going to be riding seven or eight races a day. Are we sure he's going to learn from that suspension and be better for it? I don't know. I don't have any relationship with Irad Ortiz. Maybe he is learning from this. And if he is, that's great because he is a supremely talented rider. But if he comes back and he's as reckless as he was before, that's a damning indictment of the stewards. Then you look at the Peter Miller situation. He leaves California with his tail between his legs, talking about needing to recharge and be with his family. Okay, well, just came in on Sunday. A claim was made at Oaklawn Park by Peter Miller. Gee, wonder what's going on there. And then you get the Medina Spirit situation. If this type of negative PR avalanche hits any major sport, there is a concerted effort to minimize the damage. What's horse racing's plan to minimize the damage here? Has anyone heard one? Is anyone seeing one in action? Of course not. There is no plan, at least that we're aware of. And that is what ticks me off the most from the prism that I have of not just a fan, but as a handicapper and a content producer that wants this sport to survive and thrive. What are we doing? And why the heck are we on defense so often in an industry that has so many smart, incredibly wealthy people involved? Why are we constantly playing defense? So we'll bring in Dr. Catherine Papp. Your thoughts? Well, I think all of you guys have kind of echoed what the entire watching population of racing uh, ha is feeling, and that would be pissed. Uh, I think you guys all use the same uh, expression, and honestly, it's one that's echoed amongst thousands that I'm seeing across social media, and I personally would use the word distraught. Um, it's the point where you're pulling out hair and stomping your feet and just wanting to make it all go away. And I mean, you guys talked about how 
racing has been always been reactive instead of proactive. I'd almost go to the point where it's inactive um, as a matter of course. A lot of things go noted and unless something's made a big deal of by the public, we can even reference the Amber Cobb situation with uh, Delaware Park and um, the inhumane treatment of a, one of the horses. And uh, nothing was done until there was major public outcry. So uh, they try to be inactive for the most part. Uh, the other thing is they ignore notoriously the elephant in the room, as people have been referencing during this um, International Racing Consortium conference that's going on. And uh, nothing concerted is being done because there is no concerted effort amongst factions within the industry. I would, I mean, that's what we've been arguing over or discussing and why we're talking about federal legislation ever having come to this is because no one has ever made a concerted effort between the parties involved. So how can we be effective if we're all fighting amongst ourselves? I think that's, Go ahead, Andy. No, go ahead. I just was going to say good point. Very good point. I was going to say, yeah, that, that is a great point. And that, you know, goes all kind of back to what you're saying. Um, there is no central governing body in horse racing. And that, that in a nutshell is really the underlying problem. I saw a tweet that really resonated with me earlier is it says, one thing I've noticed over the years is people who created or allowed a crisis rarely happen to lead you out of it. And do we honestly think, you know, and I have relationships with higher up people at these bigger tracks that I'm just like silently pleading, like, please, please do something. But, you know, I want to believe what has been allowed to transpire recently will be a source for change. I want to believe that, but why should I? I mean, if I may jump in here really yeah. quickly, that echoes something that, that I was able to write about. And that is, uh, there are some people in racing that have been around forever that don't want a national commission or a national governing body based on the thought that racing can police itself. Here's a question for you. If racing can police itself, why did it take the FBI to get Jorge Navarro and Jason Service off the racetrack? That's a legitimate question, and it can be applied to any number of situations just in the last couple of years. Do I think a national governing body is going to come in and miraculously solve all of racing's problems on day one? No. And I think to expect that is a little bit naive. Having said that, we would almost certainly be in a better position than we are right now. And is an improvement a good thing? I mean, so I, I, I brought Kat, I, I brought Dr. Pap on because I wanted to talk to her about a couple things. But um, as far as answering that question, man, you know, it's kind of like one of those things to where, for whatever reason, the racing industry as a whole, I mean, you can go back into all the sports, you know, all the major sports, right? Um, NBA. Up until about the 80s, they didn't have the three-point line. Now they have the three-point line. Then it's 
now people are shooting way beyond the three-point line, so they're moving the three-point line back further. Um, just so just so they can, you know, try to make it even something normal, something more of a challenge. Um, NHL got did away with the icing call and you know the two line pass and all the made bigger nets and all this just to improve the sport baseball is discussing getting rid of the you know the the dh in both leagues and you know discussing how how you know the the 10 inning rule where they do the stuff in the extra innings it's different now than it used to be you know, NFL changed their football format and also the overtime rules during the regular season to where it's 10 minutes and both teams get the ball as long as, you know, one team doesn't score a touchdown in their opening possession. NASCAR changed their whole lineup to where they're doing dirt tracks and they're doing all these different things. Then we have horse racing. And we're in the same boat we've been for the last 100 years. The same sinking boat. Huh? The same sinking boat. Exactly. But nobody wants nobody wants to change anything. Everybody's like, oh, well, you know, the monster trainers are good for the sport. No, they're not. You know what? NASCAR, NASCAR ended up having to make a rule saying, look, only a certain number of owners can have these teams. I can only have a certain amount of cars out on the track. They can't have, you know, five like they used to with, with certain tracks and or with certain teams like Joe Gibbs or Hendricks, they ended up going to say, okay, you can have three. And that's it. In horse racing, why can't you spread the wealth with the with owners going, okay, you know what? I can give X amount of horses to this person, this person, and this person. And, and do it that way. I'm well aware of the egos and all that, but at the same token, you're getting rid of a lot of people that know what they're doing. And, you know, Karen McLaughlin, what's he doing now? He's a jockey agent. Um, you know, it, it's just ridiculous to me. Well, and you can't tell me that Bob Baffert is the only person that knows how to train a racehorse. I mean, there are so many talented horsemen and women out there that would be so blessed to have even a fraction of his business. So, I mean, you can't tell me, oh, well, there's no el- nowhere else for us to send our horses. That's, that's bullshit. It's just bullshit. And I'm not, you know, blaming everything on Bob Baffert, but in a sport that is not usually in the eyes of the general public, who is the main person you think of when you think of horse racing? It's Bob Baffert for the general public. It's not John Velasquez. It's not the Ortiz brothers. It's not Brad Cox. Like he is the main one. He is the celebrity in our sport. You know, it's him. And then the horses that people are very, you know, accustomed to. So what does it say to the general public when the main person in our sport is acting toxic? They have drug positives. So many horses have died. The horse at the center of all of this controversy, you know, doesn't break down, just drops dead. And we don't know why. So uh, it is at the end of the day, horse racing is about two things. It is about the horses and it's about the betters. I know there are other people in this industry 
that have jobs, trainers, jockeys, grooms, outriders, um, exercise riders, veterinarians. I know all of those people have jobs, but the sport would go on without them. The sport does not go on without horses and without betters. And you are screwing both of them. Yes, I agree with you in every facet of that. And one thing I did want to bring up and wanted to talk about, um, I've been in a, in a Twitter debate with some lady who's so far up Bob Baffert's keister <laughs> that everything she sees is kind of like, I'm kind of like, you know, that riddle where there's two kids, one's a negative kid and one's a positive kid and the negative kid, the dad gives a, the, the negative kid a pony and the positive kid got the pile of shit and basically the negative kid is complaining about the fact that he's got to clean the horse and all of that and then the negative kid and then the positive kid's like, you know, digging underneath all the shit because sooner or later he's going to find a pony somewhere, right? So she's doing the whole positive stuff. I'm trying to prove to her that it's negative. And that's why I wanted to bring you in, Doc, because you know more about um, the skeletal and how a horse's body works. And I want to go back to the sudden deaths of 2013 with Baffert because I was reading it. Out of the seven, one was because of EPM, and I'm well aware of the fact that that's really difficult to, to diagnose and I've seen it, I've seen it live and it's really, really sad how it happens. Um, and then, but, and then one was supposedly rodenticide because they had a, they had an issue with the, with the stomach contents. I guess she suffered a, a ruptured, ruptured stomach, but the other five were all cardio. And so what, with illegal drugs, what, kind of changes happen with the horse when it comes to the lungs and the heart? Well, a lot of the cardiovascular things you're talking about are regulated by hormones, blood pressure, blood volume, um, uh, basically level of fitness, oxygen carrying capacity, things that we are born horses are born with innately and then can be trained and um, adjusted by certain types of training. Um, they are also subject to strain. They will have a maximal straining point where beyond which they cannot function anymore. Um, and, you know, there's some iffy places in between and each horse is an individual. So we don't have any set points of what each horse can physically do based on their weight or their, we don't know their heart size, you know, we, how many times they talk about Farlop and how, how big his heart was. And, you know, every animal is an individual. However, what we do know is that cardiac events, or actually I'm not even going to say cardiac events, but sudden death as a classification of uh, fatality for a racehorse is rare compared to the other causes of um, deaths of racehorses on the racetrack. So there are 
obviously musculoskeletal fatalities, whether it's a breakdown or a euthanasia due to musculoskeletal failure and inability to repair um, the damage. There are things like colic where their GI tract gets, um, you know, obviously, whether it's a colitis from a virus or bad feed or just uh, bad luck, um, they can pass away or become very sick very quickly to the point we can't fix them. There's laminitis where their feet lose blood supply and because they're 1200 pound animals on average, um, they no longer can support their own weight. But when we come to the end of things that are seen as causes of fatalities with racehorses, we have sudden death syndrome. And out of the sudden deaths, the drop dead, uh, although 99.9% .9 of people, when they report them to a media outlet, say, oh, the horse looks like it had a heart attack, um, that's not accurate. In fact, I think we need to get away from using that terminology because the majority of them are not heart attacks at all. And when sudden death syndrome has been investigated, we've found that a, the majority, I think something like 35% total were um, unable to be um, determined as cause of death. The number one reason was rupture of a large vessel. So an aorta, um, a weak wall, an aneurysm, something like that. Um, Vena cava, a rupture of a large or, um, vessel, and they bleed out internally quickly. And that will be a cause of number one cause of sudden death syndrome. The second cause, I believe, is um, extreme uh, EIPH, so um, uh, uh, exertional. <laughs> I'm, it's late here. Sorry about that. I had a long day, but I'm um, bleeding. So bleeding into the lungs. And um, even though you may not see it on the outside, um, these horses bleed internally and will bleed out into their lungs, basically suffocating as a cause of sudden death. Um, there are rare occasions when a horse may have had a clot or some sort of infection where the infection landed on some of the valves of the heart and have uh, made it not as effective as a pumping agent. And um, that would be one of the other causes of sudden death. So the heart can't pump enough when asked to do exertional work. And maybe fine just hanging around, sitting in a stall, trotting around in a field. But when asked to do speed work, the heart can't take on enough of a load to supply the body the and all the muscles, including the heart and the um, limbs and the brain and the lungs with enough oxygen and blood to do its job. But then we have uh, things like that we assume occur, which are cardiac events, meaning not heart attacks in humans a heart attack is where what we call an ischemic event to the to the part of the heart muscle which means lack of um, blood supply lack of blood supply means lack of oxygen meaning that part of the heart dies and if part of the heart dies it can't work properly so that's why people get stents you know uh, one of their coronary arteries gets blocked so we notice that these people have minor heart attacks and in humans, we can often manage them or regain capabilities uh, for life. However, that does not uh, occur in horses 
frequently at all, and certainly not in these sudden death cases, because that is something you can actually diagnose on necropsy. You would find a dead section of heart. It would be a different color. It would be a different amount of stiffness. Uh, these, the, it would show up. However, these sudden death ones are showing nothing that is allowing the um, evaluating pathologist to identify the cause of um, death. The one thing that would act like that, I guess you could have a poison of some sort um, that would cause the heart to just stop beating. Another thing, though, is often electrical conduction. So the horse's heart rate can get up super high um, and then it comes down in a certain fashion after speed work. So it goes up for maximal capacity during racing and then it comes down in a stepward fashion. What they have found by putting heart monitors on horses is that the heart beats, um, if they skip one because an electrical conduction and it gets, it gets a little bit complicated, but one part of the heart talks to the other part of the heart to ensure that it completely fills. And then they coordinatedly, um, all the chambers will pump together at the same time and at the same rate. And so if something goes wrong with those signals, they will miss a beat, maybe two beats, or make a beat last too long. And the heart will either not fill enough um, for the next pumping out to the rest of the body, or it just plain old won't pump anything at all. And that is usually due to what we call electrical conductivity. And that is linked to things like electrolyte imbalances. So stone heart, uh, it's talked about in cattle all the time. If I were to give calcium to something with a low calcium thumps, what we call in horses. If you give it too fast, calcium causes muscle contraction. And if you give it too fast, it'll cause the heart to immediately clamp up and stop working and the horse will drop dead. So there's an example. We use Lasix in race horses. It's a calcium leaching diuretic. So we leach all of the calcium. And I just said calcium is important for muscle contraction. It also changes potassium. Potassium is very important for um, the one part of the heart to speak to the other part of the heart. So any of these things, one of the ways we're even talking about euthanasia and in humans, when they do, um, you know, uh, lethal injection, they use potassium chloride to stop the heart. So these electrolytes can easily cause cardiac events and sudden death syndrome without being detectable later on in a necropsy. Um, and as I said, many medications and other substances can affect those electrolytes and other things. So, so they've got a bunch of options. So, so with, with like the dexamethasone and all of that, does that, does that have any form of, can it can do anything to the heart as far as that's concerned? Indirectly, usually not to a significant extent, uh, beta-methasone, dexamethasone, any of the zones, basically corticosteroids, they regulate insulin and the hypothalamic pituitary axis, just meaning um, cortisol, and cortisol will affect insulin and an immunity. It usually causes decreased bone density, decreased um, some immune suppression, uh, propensity to develop laminitis, things like that, but often not um, cardiovascular effects. 
at, at doses I've seen used. So no, in general, the corticosteroids do not tend to affect the cardiovascular status. But things like we, you were talking back about the sudden deaths um, with Bob Baffert before, and we had been told that at that point he had been giving clenbuterol um, and thyro-L to his horses, and those would be two drugs that would have direct effects on the heart and uh, its ability to function. I am so glad that you really broke down sudden death syndrome because I was trying to, yes, I was really trying to explain this to somebody in one of our group chats earlier. They're like, Oh, this stuff happens. Heart attacks happen. Horses just drop dead for no reason. I'm like, I'm sorry. The rarity of a three-year-old horse actually having a heart attack, like and it being a true heart attack is so rare. Um, Less than 0.01%. Exactly. And I said, you know, we call it cardiac events because, you know, until you do that necropsy, you can't really reveal what the true story is. And I had this conversation with somebody else the other day before the Medina spirit thing even happened that since, you know, Lasix is being phased out, one of the big worries that has come about um, and, you know, Lasix hasn't been gone or is completely gone long enough for us to, you know, compare variables to, you know, when horses were racing with Lasix to when they weren't, um, if there has been a rise in sudden death syndrome. But I was talking to somebody about this before this even happened, that they were concerned that there would be a rise in sudden death syndrome with bleeding in the lungs, you know, um, blood vessels breaking, vena cava, all of that stuff without Lasix. So if, and granted, I'm not a veterinarian, but I, do have pretty extensive schooling and equine, you know, physiological stuff, biology, all of that nature. And I have worked under veterinarians, but I'm certainly nowhere near your level of expertise. But if it is not substance related, that would be what I'm pinning my money on if I'm being honest. And I was trying to explain that to people. I'm like, you know, listen, the chances of this, you know, being a sudden cardiac arrest, you know, the heart just gives out. I'm like, that I'm trying to explain to you like that, that doesn't happen. And the chances of them finding nothing at all on the necropsy. Well, he just died. We don't know what happened. I mean, granted the facts very well could be hidden from us, but whoever is doing that necropsy at UC Davis, they're going to be able to tell what happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I mean, honestly, in the events you're talking about, they truly have broken down. In fact, Sue Stover at UC Davis has done a study that was published on um, sudden death syndrome. And I think there was another one as well, but they truly were not able to determine any cause of death, even any symptoms of death um, in a certain percentage, sudden, a significant portion of sudden death cases. So actually, though, even though they may not find evidence, the lack of evidence is also a key um, indicator of things, in my opinion, relating to what you said about being substance related, because I have to probably agree with you there, unless they find something um, that was grossly damaged, like a large vessel or the lungs full of blood, something like that. But if they don't find anything, I don't believe that means necessarily that, uh, you know, that it was one thing or another. I just think the lack of evidence of there being something hints to there being something more worth looking into in other ways 
So, um, you know, and going with Lasix, they talked about how before Lasix, people would take away water, it would dehydrate them, which also caused electrolyte imbalances. And um, the cases of sudden death actually have increased since the advent of Lasix usage. It probably has to do with how people were using it, um, how much they were giving, what the state of the horse was before they gave it after they gave it, how often they were using it additionally in training, how often the horse was racing. Um, we, you know, uh, they definitely, but those events have increased, but also um, different uh, drugs have evolved and shown up on our radars here in the last decade or two that would have definitive effects on the heart and then would be compounded by the use of Lasix besides, such as um, ventipulmin clenbuterol, which is said to be, it is a bronchodilator and it definitely helps horses with asthma breathe better and horses with clogged um, bronchi into their lungs. Um, however, there are safer alternatives to that medication. It is not necessary and it has many adverse effects, um, which start at approximate, well, they start immediately, but are heightened with increased use and length of use. Then ThyroL, which California just made rules about how it can be used because it was just being used willy nilly and still is in many jurisdictions. It's like me saying, hey, I really don't want to work out and I'd love to be thinner. So I'm going to take some thyroid supplementation. So it'll tell my heart to pump faster and my metabolism will just be so much higher on its own that I'll burn more calories sitting around than I ever did before. And therefore, I'll lose weight. Well, not only do you lose weight, you get um, more muscle thickness and your heart rate gets faster. You sweat more. And when your heart pumps faster, it doesn't fill to the same extent. So yeah, you're having faster heartbeats and people think that's what's necessary. However, once it's so fast that it can't fill enough blood before it makes the next pump, you're actually depriving your entire body of oxygen and you can drop dead. So that's why people with thyroid tumors um, can drop dead because of things like that. And uh you know, those are two drugs and there's many others, including erythropoietin derivatives. So blood doping, Lance Armstrong, those kinds of things would directly um, cause sudden death syndrome without being detectable. Dr. Papp, thank you very, very, very much for diving into all of this stuff. This is absolutely fascinating. And I'm, I'm incredibly happy that Andy asked you to, to come on the show and Caitlin as well. This was this is some insight that you're not going to get pretty much anywhere else. My question, as far as this is concerned, focuses on the fact that much has been made over the past 15, 20 years that the thoroughbred breed has gotten significantly weaker. And there are any number of possible reasons for that. But horses are running less races. They need more time between races. In general, it seems like at least at the higher end where horses are bred for brilliance, whatever the hell that is, over stamina in certain cases. Do you think the way horses are bred leads to certain things like this? Or is that a more structural thing rather than heart related stuff? Because this is something that I've been wondering since I heard the news, because Bob Baffert is not easy on his horses when he gets into the racetrack, when they work. They genuinely work 
It's not a case where they're going five furlongs in, say, 102 or 103. You see five furlongs in 57 and 58. And just seeing the work patterns and stuff, I can't help but wonder if maybe the way these horses are being trained is the way horses were trained 20 years ago. And maybe some of these horses just aren't fit to handle that kind of regimen anymore. That's an excellent question. And I absolutely agree. I think there's no doubt. I think, but I think there are two components. Yes, musculoskeletal, and they can't handle um, maybe the way our surfaces are, what we're doing now, our training regimens, so on and so forth, because of their more weak bone, our breeding for speed versus stamina, our retirement of horses before they reach their peaks. So we don't actually know. Um, if they have underlying things that they'd be passing on. Plus we don't even screen them. We just, like you said, breed based on brilliance, whatever that is, but often that's just remarkable ability seen early and enough of it to be retired to the breeding shed. Um, but their bone structure in general is lighter. The interesting thing is that the standard bread over time and over the last decade has in- increased with their speeds and their time. The thoroughbred stopped a long time ago we have reached the physiological capacity of speed for our thoroughbred racehorses. So yet we continue to try to breed for speed and that is not the right thing to do. The other thing you mentioned and even more hits me is how many sudden death cardiac or heart attacks have we heard about in breeding stallions recently? Wise Dan, um, who was it? Lord, uh, no, Lord Nelson was laminitis. There was, there's been a, a, quite a few stallions that have recently just dropped dead sudden death syndrome and we've never gotten uh full descriptions of why so wise dan wise dan is still with us i'm sorry oh my goodness uh his his dad uh wiseman's ferry wiseman's ferry um arrogate is one well arrogate had arrogate had a little bit of a different issue but um I Which was never elucidated. It, exactly. I That's a whole nother issue to get into. I have heard multiple things. I have heard anything from um, a spinal cord injury, a spinal cord infection, a brain infection, and a brain aneurysm. So I don't know what happened to irrigate, but he suffered a neurological event. That is, that's all I know. And what is interesting to me is his sire unbridled song suffered from um nasal and brain cancer so i don't know if that is something genetic that has been passed on through those horses um remains to be seen but that irrigate was a little bit different but i mean i can think of pioneer of the nile scat daddy um wiseman's fairy was the one wiseman's fairy yeah i you could create a long list of ones that died within the past 10 years unexplained pioneer of the nile right yep yeah, a few of them like died just after breeding a mare, like just dropped dead. I could make some smart comment to just liven up the, the discussion, <laughs> but I'm not going to. I heard that one, except for I was thinking about the other day when I made a comment on Twitter about who was pensioned recently that had they had said had bred for I ended up counting 22 seasons, and he was also going back and forth between hemispheres for half of that. And the yes, as you may think, everyone may say, oh, that was a lovely life for a breeding stallion. But I'm sorry, jumping mares on sore 
you know, that oh, that's old for a horse, okay? I think he was 28. Who was it that was recently pensioned? Um, that was a good was stallion. Distorted humor? Yes, exactly. That's who it that's was. That's him, yep. And that was 22 seasons of breeding, half of those being shipped back and forth between hemispheres. That is a lot of jumps on a mare for an older horse. And most of these stallions here, we don't ride. They are kept oh, a little bit overweight in my opinion because i follow overseas especially japan always posts videos of their stallions being ridden and there's the one farm here at three chimneys they ride their stallions but pretty much no one else and that used to be um my husband's father used to be a manager at spendthrift and they rode seattle slough around um you know that was a thing to keep them fit and uh it actually takes a lot of cardiac output to jump mares so it very well may be because we're not actually working most of these up except for insurance purposes that we are breeding certain defects, um, both musculoskeletal and, and the heart is musculoskeletal, but, um, you know, and cardiovascular weaknesses into our, uh, either that are causing it with our management systems. So I, I guess to kind of close on the whole sudden death stuff and all that stuff and, I'll make I'll make one comment about spendthrift. I think I want to say, or not spendthrift. Um, three chimneys. I swear I thought I saw was it Fast Anna that passed away? Yes. So wasn't that sudden death too? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right? I don't remember what happened to Fast Anna. Um, I'm actually gonna look that up. I had I feel like happened to that horse. But. I mean, you're right about Three Chimneys. Three Chimneys does such a great job of taking them out and getting them some exercise. And I mean, Lord knows if they didn't give Palace Malice any sort of exercise, what type of hoodlum he'd be. Right. Everybody um, that was around him, because he's a handful when he does get exercise. <laughs> Um, and it's what they want to do that's what they're bred that's what we bred them to do yeah they, i mean you know uh so not being able to do what we've trained them to do most of their lives and you know they were born to do per se and letting them have some recreational fun i mean their job is breeding right so let them it, it is i find better to have them in better cardiovascular fitness to last longer but that's just what i've learned from show jumping stallions and things like that who last a lot longer yeah um, not to interject or anything but um fast Santa was euthanized this year due to chronic laminitis okay thank you um it's kind of sad because i really like fast Santa babies um yeah uh but getting back to something that andrew said earlier and i wanted to discuss and I want to also bring up the fact that uh, Charles Simon brought this in about Irad Ortiz, right? As we shift toward that part of the whole situation, you know, I know you and 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 Caitlin were younger, Andrew, and probably you too, Doc. But there was a time when when the jockey room jockeys rooms wasn't a place where buddies hung out. Right. right. And, um, you know, they would they would basically police themselves. If something happened on the racetrack, they would go back into the jockey's room and take care of it. There's a lot of a lot of things that have gone on that I know of in the jockey's room 
that I should have written a book about when, when I could have had a chance. Andy, the Southern California jockeys rooms may as well have been boxing federations and the fights were probably better. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you're right. I hear about it from my husband all the time. And in fact, you bringing up that whole topic, uh, when I was showing him the videos the other night, he says, back in the day, we would have called that race riding. And I was like, you know, but it causes risks to obviously people, horses, um, and it won't be tolerated. But at the same time, you, like you said before, it, yeah, I, all I can think of is Calvin Burrell. How many years ago was that um, on TV going after the other jock? Um, yeah. Do you guys remember when that was? Oh, and after Castellano, after a Breeders' Cup yeah. race. Yeah. Yeah. Calvin Burrell, who has the public image of being, you know, this calm, yeah. good old boy, smiley guy. And all of a sudden he looks possessed as he's going yeah. after here, Castellano. My goodness. Yeah, that's what I can think of. So you're right, though, about the they used to settle things a lot better. Now, uh, you know, it's a little bit more stick together. But now it's more like buddy, buddy. And don't get me wrong. I mean, back in the day, there, you know, the jocks would go out and get drunk and all that. But I mean, or have a couple to imbibe. But I mean, I, I don't know if I was telling this to Caitlin or to somebody else, but, you know, my stepsis wrote in, in, in the Southern California colony when girls weren't, when the only girls that were, in the Southern California calling me were Christine Davenport and my sister and Joyce Scott. Hmm. And she was a bug rider. And I remember one time she got it. Gary Stevens said something to her and did something. And he turned around and she turned around and clocked him inside the paddock in front of everybody. And <laughs> he was pissed, but you know what? It got her, her respect that she needed in that colony. But for I mean, her. that stuff, that stuff that always happened, Nakatani would go get into it with Valenzuela, you know, Nakatani would get into it with whoever he could, because that's just Nakatani. He's a hothead. Uh, the Zorma would get into it. Stevens would get into it. And nobody batted a nine from it. It was like, okay, fine. So you guys race road, you guys took it out there. Stewards were just like, okay, you guys get five days and that's it. Right, because five yep. days was a lot of days then for losing a lot of money, and nowadays it's not. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. Just going on the whole jockey thing, the story that I am most familiar with is the old story about Eddie Arcaro, way, way, way back when he had an issue with another rider. I believe it was about a woman. I'm not sure. But he went out of his way to aggressively harm the other jockey in the middle of a race. The stewards call him up and the stewards say, Mr. Arcaro, it is the belief of this body that you intentionally rode to harm another rider. And Eddie said, with all due respect, I didn't ride to intentionally harm him. I wanted to kill that bleepity, 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 bleepity. And he wound up getting suspended for a year. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's a heck of a story, right? But uh, at any rate, wow. the thing that gets me about the Arad Ortiz situation is for one, he's a heck of a rider who doesn't need to be doing this stuff. For another, he's going to come back after 30 days having missed 
one significant day, maybe opening day at Santa Anita. And that's pretty much it. Um, and he's going to come back to a full slate of mounts from connections that will be incredibly happy. He's back. Where's the guarantee that he's going to learn from the punishment that he got. And we won't have to do this again at some point in the future, either near or far. That's the thing that scares me is you have atmospheres in New York now with what the New York stewards have allowed jockeys to get away with. And it's terrifying. It hopefully will not take someone dying in order for something to change. And I shouldn't have to say that, but if you look at a Rod Ortiz Jr.'s actions during the week of the cigar mile, that's not an understatement. He wasn't just riding aggressively. He was riding beyond recklessly. And it's just one of those situations that with any common sense should have been avoided. It wasn't. And I really, really hope that the punishment works, but who's to say that it will. Well, going back to when I was listening to Barry and Chuck's podcast earlier, Chuck brought up a good point when they were talking about this. Um, They're like, people always say, oh, well, man, it is just so tough for them to control these 1,200 pound animals. Bullshit. I understand that sometimes that can be the case, but race riding does happen and it needs to stop. The stewards need to sit these people down and say, you will ride straight or you will pay the price because people are going to get killed. People are going to end up in wheelchairs. And I mean, we've seen this before. This truly happens. So, I mean, I just don't know if this is something that is being taken taken for granted, being taken lightly. But I, I do believe, once again, it goes back to the fact that there is a lack of leadership at the top. But it's like Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, they go out to some bush track and, and ride quarter horses and then come back to the racetrack on at Naira or Gulfstream and ride and think they're still at a bush track. I mean, that's how the that that's how I read, rode that race, right? That's what a bush rider would do. Mm-hmm. He just didn't look. I mean, he wasn't, I mean, like a simple paying attention uh, would have done us a little bit of good. I mean, he didn't look back right until he was basically on top of the other guy. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, 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 it's just frustrating to see and all that. And um, We're going on almost an hour here and we don't want to, take too much more of your time. Um, any last thoughts, uh, um, Andrew? Yeah, I, I guess the, the last thought that I have is very similar to what I was talking about before we hit record on this show. And that is, it seems like everybody in the horse racing community is trying to find their own way to try to find answers for all of the things that have happened over the past six weeks, two months, maybe, and trying to find something that might make things better. And it is beyond frustrating, A, that that answer doesn't exist in anything we can do as fans, as horse players, as content producers, anything like that. It's frustrating that that answer doesn't exist. And it's frustrating that, going back to something we said earlier, We're in an industry that has been reactive rather than proactive for so long that we have very little confidence that we're going to wind up with long-term solutions that make sense. And it's incredibly frustrating. 
it's beyond sad that it had to come to a head with the untimely demise of a three-year-old whose better days should have been ahead of him. And it's just a regrettable situation all the way around. Andy, Caitlin, Dr. Papp, I like all of you very, very much, but I would be very happy if we never had to do one of these types of shows ever again. Agreed. I absolutely agree. hundred percent. Dr. Papp, any last thoughts? Just that when you were saying that all of us would like to be able to come up with a way to get answers or to fix this problem, I agree that not one subset of us is ever going to be able to. However, I still believe strongly in free speech and the ability to rally the troops of those of us who do believe even in uh, in front of evidence of the opposite, that racing can continue safer, better, and with more focus on the welfare of our athletes, both human and equine, um, along with better ethics and um, move forward and engage better people. Um, so I don't want to discourage people by saying we're not going to make a difference. I do think exercising our right to free speech and open discussion and um, idea exchanging is always a value, even if it just brings us together. Um, and like I said, going back to that Amber Cobb situation where the Delaware stewards were overturned by the um, Delaware Racing Commission originally, um, basically not to punish her much for, um, you know, intentionally uh, hitting a horse with a rake, then there was such a public outcry and reaching out to the powers that be that they re-suspended and upheld charges. So, and she's now no longer at the track. I do think things, certain little things can add up to big ones in the long term if it's possible. So we do need to keep pushing rather than giving up. And I'm going to let Caitlin make the final decision or have the final thoughts here because um, she's Caitlin and she's the, she's the, she's the star of the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop. But I, I agree with absolutely everything that all of you have said. And I'm so glad that we could kind of have this roundtable discussion about this. I can't think of four better people, honestly, to talk about this. And I, I hope people really do turn in and listen to this valuable information that everybody has put forward. Um, and I definitely just wanted to bring up the, you know, lost in the shuffle of all of this that's going on this week. You know, Maryland racing is also dealing with some really, really big problems right now. So I, I hope that they can get that worked out as well. You know, it sucks that all of this is going on. It sucks because I, I love horse racing. I love the horses. I love the people in this industry. Um, some of the best, you know, friends that I've ever made have come from this industry and I don't want to see it slip away. I've, I've made a career in this industry and these people and these horses are like family to me. And I just, I know at the end of the day, not everybody is going to feel the same way I do, but I wish that everybody felt the same way because we would be a whole of a hell lot happier and this industry would be in much better hands if people all felt the same way that we did. So 
we can all just hope that the powers that be make the right decisions. And, you know, I'm, I'm tired of the same people getting third, fourth, and fifth chances. You know, there's something to say about second chances. And I can understand that maybe sometimes even a third, but anything past that, no way. And, you know, this industry will never get better if we keep making the same mistakes. So somebody has to put their foot down and really be the change. And I think a lot of that comes from younger people getting into the industry because let's face it, um, us young people are the future of the sport. And quite frankly, we've been dealt a very shit hand. We've been given, you know, a system that's outdated and quite frankly, have been left to pick up the broken pieces as people, you know, start to retire. People have said, you know, Charlie Winningham died. Bobby Frankel died. Eddie Arcaro died. Um, all of these big names in the sport pass away and the sport still remains. So we need to really keep the sanctity of that and make sure that it's in better hands than when we left it. And with that, we are out of the goat zoom room. Sorry. It was so somber today. Y'all uh, usually we have better fun time, but I thought this was needed. And thank you, Dr. Pat for coming on at short notice and being able to, discuss sudden death. It was important to have it out there because so many people are trying to play veterinarian on Twitter and they're not fully understanding the whole concept of it. Andrew, thank you for coming on because you are the reasonable one to my crazy one. And Caitlin, obviously you're always the best. So I appreciate that. But Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next week with hopefully Scott Shapiro of uh, Twin Spires. <laughs>